Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, a podcast where two longtime gal pals swap stories about women in history that you may not have heard of and chug wine while doing it. I'm and Kelly. By God, do we chug that wine. I'm Emily. Yes, we do. <laughs> um... So I'm just going to get us started off. Go for First it. First of all, thank you so much again for tuning in to episode two. We must have done something right, or you're just friends and family. And in that case, thank you for supporting us. We yes. need the validation. <laughs> so um, today, Kelly and I are going to be sharing stories about uh, unknown or underknown women in history and uh, drinking some sweet ass wine while we do it. Speaking of sweet ass, we're drinking sweet bitch Moscato. Heck yeah. And uh, I got it for two reasons. One, I could not pass up a wine called Sweet Bitch, because that's what we both are, <laughs> some sweet bitches, and it was on sale. Plus, Moscato's are probably my all-time favorite Oh, ones. yeah. I'm a Moscato and Riesling girl, because the least, like, alcohol it tastes, the more I like it. Yeah, I just right. want, like... And I like the sweet, even though, you know, there's, like... Six feet of snow outside. I'm kidding. It's not like six feet. It's more like four. No, it is like six feet. Don't, <laughs> um, don't lie. You know, and Moscato's are generally like a summer wine. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm like, the shit tastes good. We are channeling that summer energy yeah, into our bodies. Willing the snow to melt. Willing it into existence. And uh, they had kind of a, a little write-up at the liquor store about Sweet Bitch. And uh, this is not an educational wine podcast, so we just kind of do what we do. But I did get a little thing here, and I'm going to read it. A light sparkle releases scents and flavors of fresh fresh white peach, melon, and sweet apple. Delicious and fun to drink on any occasion. Chill and enjoy. I want that to be like my email signature. Just chill and enjoy. I liked your phone sex wine reading voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting getting real suggestive with it. (laughs) Heck yeah! (laughs) All right, um... So I'm going first this week. Yeah, we're, which letting, I'm, we're letting her lead off today. I'm not prepared for. I'm very <laughs> anxious about it's it. It's very nerve-wracking to go first. It is, because I loosen up talking to you about your story, and now it's like, oh shit. Now I get to be loose. All right, so um, I'm going to do some extra credit this week, and no, I'm not just going to... That's gonna, not fair. I'm not just going to cover one <laughs> woman. I'm blowing up your spot, Kelly. I'm not just going to cover one woman. I'm going to cover seven. That's just not fair. Seven is my favorite <laughs> number. Now I don't have to do stories for the next seven weeks. Oh, uh, what? No. <laughs> um, We're just going to skip podcasting for seven weeks, guys? We'll no, pick. no, you, you'll just do yours. <laughs> oh, it's just me. Yeah, by myself. Yeah, okay. solo podcast. Um, <laughs> so this is the story of the Edinburgh Seven, or as I like to call them, the Masterful Medical Mavens. Have you ever heard of the Edinburgh Seven? No, I have not. But I've also never been to Edinburgh. Have have did you hear of them when you went to Edinburgh? I didn't. I didn't actually hear about them until afterwards, and I didn't remember I had heard about them until I started reading. So I was like, "Oh shit, I remember now." All right, tell me about them. Um, well, first of all, I did study abroad in Scotland for three months when I was in college. So uh, I'm gonna do my best with this, but I'm pretty sure Edinburgh is how you say it. I mean, I'm sure there's, like, a thicker Baroque to it. Um, Edinburgh! No. Yeah, probably like that. <laughs> and everyone from Scotland hates me now. Yeah. I'm so sorry. All right. I'm going to set the scene. Picture it. Edinburgh, Scotland. March of 1869. It was probably foggy or raining because God knows it almost always is. Sophia J. Blake applied to study medicine at the University of Edinburgh, and despite the medical faculty voting in favor of her being allowed to study medicine, the university court, which I guess was a thing, rejected her. This was largely due to a petition of 200 students, started by senior assistant physician Claude Murrayhead. Or Murrayhead. I don't know how. It's M-U-I-R-H-E-A-D. So I'm just going to call it Murrayhead. So it's one one name. It's not like two names. Claude No, I meant Murrayhead. like... Yes. The second part is one name. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'm calling him Murrayhead. And okay. just imagine he has like Bill Murray's head. 
Yeah, that's not the head I was imagining. Let's just continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really weird mental image for a second. There's two kinds of people in the world. Um, it was argued that the university couldn't make necessary accommodations for one lady. What kind of accommodations do you think universities have to make for women? I don't know. Separate bathrooms. Separate bathrooms, preferably feminine products in the bathrooms for women. <gasps> That's probably it. Like, that's all I can think of. I mean, they didn't give a shit about our periods back no. then anyway, it's so. like, here's a rag. Literally, here's a rag. So, Sophia figured that the university wouldn't be willing to make accommodations for one woman. Maybe they would reconsider if there were more. Which, yeah, that's super valid. I love that, like, oh, oh yeah, I guess just making accommodations for one woman is a lot to ask. But what if there's a fuck ton of us? So, uh, with the help of an English professor and the editor... Of uh, the Scotsman, she advertised in that publication and other national newspapers, putting out the bat signal for other women to join her. It didn't take long for the first two women, Isabel Thorne and Edith Peachy, to respond. Edith's letter read, Do you think anything more is requisite to ensure success than moderate abilities and a good share of perseverance? I believe I may lay claim to these, together with a real love of the subjects of study, but as regards any thorough knowledge of these subjects at present, I fear I am deficient in most. I am afraid I should not, without a good deal of previous study, be able to pass the preliminary exam. So she's like, hey, I'm really into this, but like, without schooling, I don't think I could pursue it. Like, super passive. That's super valid. Yeah, well, it's super passive, and it comes off as meek. But, like, just lock it away in your brain vault. Remember her. Okay. So, altogether, five women submitted a second application that summer. By the time it was approved by the university court, the group had grown to seven. So, we're up to the Edinburgh Seven. Uh, the seven women were, because I think they're worth naming, Sophia J. Blake, Isabel Thorne, Edith Peachy, Matilda Chaplin... Helen Evans, Mary Anderson, and Emily Beauville. So, rock on for the Emilies. Now, before they could attend the university, they had to pass the matriculation exam, which is just like an entrance exam. Yeah, I had to do that. Yeah, I did too, and I, and I fucking didn't even go to medical it. school. I almost cried. Like, so we, Kelly and I went to the same university, and I was so stressed out about oh. taking those exams, I like walked out and almost so cried. Just since there was like three of them. There was like a general one, a math one, and an English one, and I was like, why? And I'm really bad at math, so, like, yeah, they put, I was very stressed out. They put me out. in Calc 1. I went to one day of Calc 1, and I was like, fuck this. I have no idea what I'm doing, and took statistics instead. They put me in the math class that's specifically designed for, like, art and English majors who don't know math. So Good I job. got to learn how to, like, calculate discounts. Nice. <laughs> which has served me well. Good. Now, their exam was like a choose-your-own-adventure. It automatically covered English, Latin, and mathematics... Because Latin used to be a baseline. Yep. Yeah. Which... It was not a dead language like it is now. Good for them. And then each candidate had to choose two additional subjects, which could include Greek, French, German, advanced mathematics, natural philosophy, logic, and moral philosophy. You'd think... Because they're trying to get into a medical school. Yeah. you think there would be, like, anatomy or, like... I mean, Latin's really good because... There's a lot. There's of, a lot of Latin. Same with Greek. You think Greek would have been like required? So that's just. I find it very interesting that they're trying to get into a medical school, and they're like, "Yeah, just pick one of these. There's It'll no be biology. Fine. There's no anatomy. There's. Yeah. You don't need to know the human body. You just need to know languages and math and philosophy and moral philosophy if you choose. Anyway, uh, all of the women got together and lived at 15 Baclou Place which is now the university's student experience office, and helped each other study for the exam, which empowered women empower women. I love it. And Sophia actually tutored the other women in math to help them prepare. That's awesome. Bonus trivia. That's not actually trivia. It's okay. more personal. I was like, um... um the Duke of Buccleuch owned the palace I lived in when I was studying in Scotland. And he got one. beheaded, yes, he got beheaded at the Tower of London by a drunk executioner who hit him everywhere but his head about seven times before he finally died. I've been died. to the Tower of London. Yes. Uh, I could feel you there. I went I after know, just, you. I feel Kelly in these walls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Out of the 152 total candidates who took the exam in October, four of the women ranked in the top seven places. Fuck yeah! Matriarchy! Right? So on November 2nd of that year, the University of Edinburgh became the first British university to accept women. I would say reluctantly, though. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, Sophia wrote to a friend about the event, calling it a grand thing. Good. Which is like, I don't know, it's understated and cute. I mean, her like, first one was kind of too. She was just like, oh, you know. And then she's like, oh, this was good. Yeah. Just, well, no, that was that was Edith. Oh. Yeah, this is this is Sophia. Who seven kind of, names. I totally get it. My brain vault, not working. I totally get it. There, There's a wine bottle-shaped lock on I'm your just, brain vault. We're, we're going to get a, like, board and we'll just... <laughs> arrows and... The rest of the podcast is just going to be us naming things in, in the room where yeah. we're recording. Oh, look, there's dish soap. Why is it orange? Yeah, right. I don't know. I like the... Anyway, <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's awful. Um, well, their acceptance entitled them to the same education and resources as the male oh, students. Oh, I don't like this where this is going. There were some stipulations to the women's education. One document details the regulations for the education of women in medicine in the university. Can we stop with the marathon titles? I am so tired. <laughs> I am not sober enough to read these. I was trying to think of an acronym, but I couldn't remember the first half of the document's <laughs> name. It's the... R-E-W-M-U. The Remu. The Remu. Yeah. Let's French. make it sound French, French and fancy. Um, so this this stated that the women would attend classes separately from their male counterparts. And since these class sizes were significantly smaller, they would pay more intuition. That, okay. Yeah. So, hey, we're going to make you attend smaller classes and, and we're going to make you pay. Money. Exactly. Also. Because women are so distracting. In class. Didn't you know that? Especially back then in their, like, full body, neck to feet frocks. Oh, yeah. Super sexy. God. Uh, Also, due to a loophole that allowed but didn't require university professors to teach women, the women were left to arrange lectures for themselves, often with Sophia leading. So they're paying more money to To teach teach themselves. themselves. (laughs) That's the... Biggest bullshit I have ever heard. I'd be crying if I wasn't drinking some sweet bitch right now. Yeah. Thank you, sweet bitch, for making me capable. All right. One professor, Crumb Brown, because that's a name, refused to issue the women attendance certificates, instead giving them credit for attending a ladies' class. Unfortunately, these uh, strawberry jam labels, as they were called, didn't translate into actual college credit. What the fuck is a strawberry jam label? They That's what they started calling these attendance certificates because they didn't actually mean and anything. They, like, referencing women's periods or something? Like, oh, I don't, fuck. I like, didn't think I was like, that. Why, why strawberry jam? And I'm like, well, it's red. I don't know. Well, I mean, strawberry jam is significantly better than grape jam. Yeah. Let's just oh, yeah. be honest. Let's, let's I'll be die on that hill. Here. But, I mean, it's basically... These attendance certificates were worth as much yeah. as a strawberry jam label. So nothing, apparently. So so they're paying more money. They're teaching themselves. The professors that will teach their classes won't give them credit for it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they're just getting screwed on all sides. All right. In March 1870, the group had their first physiology and chemistry exams. They didn't just pass, but four of them received honors in both subjects. Remember humble Edith Peachy? She ranked first among all the candidates, which gave her access to the Hope Scholarship. Fuck yeah. So she's like, oh, you know, I really like this, but you know, without some schooling, I don't know how well I do. And then she fucks everyone. She just, boom. Yeah. Mic drop. Way to go, Peachy. Yes. Edith, I love you, honey. Yeah, Yeah, right. That's right. First names. Friendly. Yes. Friendly basis. I love her last. I might I know, be. Edith, Edith Peachy. Like, that's, like a, that's a great name. I might be saying it wrong. It's P-E-C-H-E-Y. Where's she going? Peachy? I'm saying I'm renaming her. Okay. That's that's incredibly <laughs> offensive. I'm so sorry. Um, so the Hope Scholarship created by chemistry professor Thomas Charles Hope was awarded to the four students who ranked highest on their exam. Unfortunately, due to growing resentment towards the women they from the. They didn't give it to her, did they? 
You know, sorry, I'm, I'm trying sorry. to craft a narrative here, and you're just cutting right to the end. I'm so bad. Okay, we're just gonna cut to the end of the story. Guys were dicks to women, but and they're the badasses. The end. <laughs> but so, due to the growing resentment towards the women from the faculty and the concern of upsetting the male students, shout out to fragile masculinity. Edith and other qualifying women were denied the scholarship. It was instead rewarded to male students who ranked lower. Kelly is giving me the, like, what the fuck is this bullshit face. Yeah. One professor in particular, Robert Christensen, strongly opposed the Edinburgh Seven's attendance. At a debate in April of 1870, which was designed to determine if the women would be allowed to attend classes with the male students which would also entitle them to lower tuition costs and make them eligible for rewards. So equal. Right, and actual, you know, credit. Yeah. Uh, Christensen, Christensen, I'm sorry, he's got a weird name, and other, and uh, another professor claimed that the women might be Magdalene's, which I actually had to look up. Have you ever heard that term? Oh my God, you're so smart. It's like Mary Magdalene. Exactly. I had to look that up. I was like, what the fuck is a Magdalene? I got this. So basically, former whores. Yeah. Reformed whores. But I think in this context, they're saying they'll be distracting. Well, they're they're women of ill repute because how dare they pursue education. Right. So they must be whores. How did they get in here in the first place? They slept their way to the top. And they said uh, women should become midwives, not doctors. Because women are only good for pushing out babies and helping someone push out babies. (laughs) A baby needs to be in the room for you to be valid. Yeah, apparently. Jesus. Um, Christensen was highly influential at the university and turned a lot of the faculty who had been supportive of the women against them. He's just swinging his big dick around. Yep. Uh, This toxicity spread to the male students who would slam doors in the women's faces, making offensive comments, and taking up extra seats so the women, women wouldn't have a place to sit. Man spreading. It's like the original man spreading. Yeah. And here's the thing. You have an influential male faculty member who is at worst bullying, at best influencing other staff members to reject these women. Of course, the students are going to start acting like that. So you're breeding an environment of toxicity. Yeah, it's that's terrible. Sophia recorded the abuse she experienced at the university, which included having her doorbell wrenched off, her nameplate damaged having smoke blown in her face, receiving inappropriate letters, and having a Catherine wheel nailed to her door. Okay, I don't know what a Catherine wheel is. I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) A Catherine wheel uh, was a torture tool which involved using a heavy wheel to break the victim's bones, usually working from the feet up to make it as horrible as possible. Then, the victim's body was braided or tied to the wheel before being placed on a pole where they would die. Can can we put a picture of this on the blog? I will. I'm trying to imagine it, and I'm like, I I don't know. Just, like, imagine taking a wheel and breaking someone's body from the feet up. And tying them to it. But because their bones are broken, you can, like, braid their limbs in the spokes of the wheel. So they just hung a giant heavy wheel on her door. Yeah. That's, so, okay. this just gives you the kind of message that was being sent. Very Kill violent, women. very aggressive, very not cool. Edith recorded having been followed in the streets by a group of men who called her a whore. Because that's kind of the default, isn't it? Yeah. In response to the grossly unsafe environment, the women began to travel in a group. Which really reminds me of what we do nowadays. Yeah, there's, when, uh, there's always two of you. It's never yeah. travel alone. If I had a nickel for every time I was at the bar with just one other girlfriend and one of us went to the bathroom and came back for a dude to be sitting in our seats because... Yeah, no. You wonder why women go to the bathroom in pairs. Mm-hmm. It's because even going to the bathroom, we don't feel safe. Yeah. So, I mean... It's frustrating because you see how things haven't necessarily changed, but I think we have to acknowledge how far we've really come. We have. I mean, it has been 200 years, because you said this was 18... Mm-hmm. This was less than 200. So 1800s. But it was like 1880-something. 1870s. So 130-ish years, 40-ish years. You know, we have come a long way, but it is still sad that some of these things have stuck around. Yep. Eventually... 
Tensions boiled over on November 18, 1870. That afternoon, on their way to take an anatomy exam at Surgeon's Hall, the women found that Nicholson Street was blocked by a crowd made up of hundreds of people. So seven women versus hundreds of people. As the women approached, they were pelted with garbage and the crowd shouted at them. Wow. Yeah. Hundreds of people. I, well, that's the question. Like seven hundreds ladies. of people. Like my question is, was it only men, or did like men start dragging their like wives and shit into it? Like I found some resources that said that the crowd was all or primarily men, but yeah. I could. I mean, because I'm sure. God I'm knows. sure sometimes you know, like men, if they go home and they're enraged, can you know, like. Especially women of that time, like the meek ones, I'm sure would be like, oh, yes, the, that woman shouldn't be there, you know, like, so I could see some women joining the crowd. I mean, internalized misogyny exactly. is real and it affects all of us to an extent. So, I mean, I think it was primarily men, probably a lot of faculty That's and terrible. students, but we, we can't say for sure. Either way, hundreds of people versus seven women trying to take an anatomy exam. Right? They're like, I just want to get to my class and take a Take a test. What I would do to get out of an anatomy exam, and these women are facing a crowd of hundreds just to fucking take it. All right, uh, when they tried to enter Surgeon's Hall, the gates were slammed in their faces. Now, there was a side entrance which they could have used to get out, but instead, they faced the crowd until a sympathetic student finally opened the gates. So they could have run away, but instead they're like, Fuck this. So at this point, they got through the crowd to the gate. The gate was shut, and they just turned around and were like... I, yeah, I guess. Okay. I wish I had a map, because I, I didn't totally understand it. But uh, That's what but, yeah. I'm going to envision in my head. Um, so yeah, finally someone lets them in. Uh, the event is now known as the Surgeon's Hall Riot. Now, there were consequences for the riot participants. Three... Disorderly students were fined one pound each and charged with breaching the peace. One pound. Yeah. Okay. So three pounds total. Yep. Yep. Good job. Yeah. Consequences are real. So I would, down. I would never ride again. I know. One pound. It's such a turn off. Yeah. I can't afford that. No. Uh, Sophia claimed that the crowd had been encouraged by a teaching assistant who then successfully sued her for defamation. Wow. So these women are going to school with these teachers and instructors and students. They know what's going on. And so she claims, hey, this guy totally led them on. Well, and I'm sure she could see that him like being like, yeah, throw more trash or starting it even. Yeah, if he was there. But then, well, I mean, it's really just your word against his. Right. And then he successfully sued her for defamation. That's terrible. Yep. Let me guess, it was more than three pounds. I I couldn't find it, but I I would imagine. I would imagine there were more significant consequences. Consequences. That's a new word. I just made it. Questionable Enjoy. consequences. Consequences. I love that. Thank you for helping me. Empowered women, empower women to make questionable. We're going to high five. I realize we also forgot to cheer our wine. What should we cheers to? Yeah, we're going to cheer to consequences. Consequences. Thank you, everyone. All right. The riot did gain the women widespread publicity and won them support, even amongst some male students who were shocked by the riot, because I guess they didn't know what was going on before. Or it might just be like, okay, you know, it's one thing to not want these women in your classes. It's another thing to, like, attack, corner them, them and throw garbage at them. So uh, th this is a really shining moment for some of these male students. So no one can say we hate guys because we will we will give credit where credit is yeah. due. The supportive male students stepped the fuck up and began escorting the women and acting as bodyguards. Oh, good. Isn't that so sweet? And that's what we need. You know, women can be as empowered as we can, but if we don't have support from the men around us, there's only so far we can get. Yeah. You know? So that's awesome. Uh, some of their supporters formed a general committee for securing a complete medical education for women. That's Aww. a whole title, <laughs> which had over 300 members, including Charles Darwin, and more women joined their classes. That's awesome. Yep. So really, this riot backfired on the uh, rioters. Oh, yeah. And everyone's like, whoa, guys, what the fuck? Calm like, down. Too much. You're getting too hysterical. Much. <laughs> 
Uh, despite all of this, however, the university refused to award the women their degrees in 1873. This decision was not only upheld by the Court of Sessions, which is like the Supreme Civil Court of Scotland, but the court also ruled that the women shouldn't have even been accepted into the university in wow. the first place. Wow. <laughs> Your stories make me angry. I this is a very What did I say? We last episode we said happy endings. You did not give me a happy ending. We're not at the ending yet. Okay. We got we got like another page and a half, so Oh my god, I lost my place. There Hold better on. be a happy ending. Alright. So what happened to the Edinburgh Seven? Sophia Jiblake. So she's kind of the main one we've been yeah, following. She was the first one, right? Yep, she was the first one. She's kind of a uh, spearheaded a lot of yes, yeah, and she taught some of the classes. Right. So Sophia moved to London to campaign for women's rights and established the London School of Medicine for Women in 1874. Fuck yeah. Twelve of its 14 students previously studied in Edinburgh, and six of the original seven ended up attending the school. Empowered women empower women. I'm not going to stop saying it. Five of the original Edinburgh seven did receive medical degrees abroad. Good. In 1876, legislation was passed that enabled but enabled but didn't require universities to treat male and female students equally. Here's my question. What disabled them from doing that in the first place? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to be like, so if it's not required, what does that really change from what was already there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I guess maybe it stops if women are accepted it stops that supreme courty thing from being like they shouldn't have been there yeah because people could be like no it's on the law it says they can be there i hate, don't have to be i hate baby steps but i understand their significance um the irish college of physicians was the first to grant medical licenses Good. to women go ireland in 1878, Sophia returned to Edinburgh and started her own practice, becoming the city's first woman doctor. She created a clinic for poor patients, which eventually became Brunsfield Hospital, which closed in 1989. Oh, so basically, she ran her practice for many years, and then when she finally well, it went retired... went on for like 100 years. Well, when she retired, um, another group bought her house and continued and, you know, yeah. expanded, and they eventually moved to a new location, which are apartments now. Cool. I want to live there. Okay. I want to go to Edinburgh go with you. and live there. If we start podcasting from Edinburgh, you know where we'll be. Yes. Uh, when Scotland finally started granting women medical licenses, Sophia helped found the Edinburgh School of Medicine for Women. So she got shit done. Oh, yeah, and she kept her hands in it the entire time. Oh, yeah. No, I Good mean... The, for her. The, this was... Like, no one goes into medicine because, well, it might be fun. Like, she was very serious about it, and all of them were. Um, Except all right. for the one that was kind of like, well, I could... We're Edith about to Peachy. get into her. We're about to get into Miss Edith Peachy. So Edith Peachy practiced in Leeds before becoming a senior medical officer at a women's and children's hospital in Bombay, modern-day Mumbai. Uh, she was eventually appointed to the Senate of the University of Bombay. Nice. So she maintained a medical career. Isabel Thorne. Uh, she was one of the original seven who attended Sophia's school and became its honorary secretary. She left her medical pursuits to focus on helping run the school and was a fixture of the administration for 30 years. Wow. Her daughter, Surgeon May Thorne. Heck yeah. I want to acknowledge it's the same last name, too. Yeah. Uh, succeeded her as honorary she kept her secretary. Name. Yeah. I mean, I. A lot of these women, they did have marital history, so I'm wondering if maybe Isabel never married. Maybe. 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 She just, you know, got what she wanted and had a baby. I love it. Okay. So now we're on to Emily, and I want to acknowledge we share the same birthday. Do you really? We are 150 years apart. Wow. Emily energy up in here. <laughs> I'm feeling it. So Emily gained her medical degree in Paris. She worked at New Hospital for Women in London from 1878 to 1881 before moving to Nice, using the warm climate to help alleviate TB, or wow. tuberculosis. She was also awarded the Officer of the Order of Academic Palms by the French government for her contributions to medicine. And I had translated that 
because it was in French and I actually looked up a YouTube video of some guy saying it, but he said it so quickly and so Frenchly that I could not figure so it out. French. I tried. Um, women wear, rarely won this award. Her husband, physician William Allen Sturge, strongly supported Emily's professional Aww. career and they ran a practice together. That's sweet. I love that. See, and that's what we were talking about, that the men in women's lives need to stand behind them and help them. Yep. You know. Because it's not an even playing field and sometimes we need help. We're strong and we're empowered, but by God, sometimes we need the support. Right. And we will support you too if you're not a piece of shit. Um Helen Evans. Helen actually married the editor of The Scotsman. I couldn't figure out if it was the same one who originally helped Sophia with her ads, but I like to think it was. Um, in 1871 and had three children upon his death five years later, she became a member of the executive committee for the Edinburgh School of Medicine for Women, which Sophia helped found. Yep. So these women are in and out of each other's so lives forever. Like she was also another one that didn't get the medical degree. Um, maybe not. Okay. Cause you said five of the seven. So that would be, yep. those would be the two. Cause, uh, what was it? Isabel. And then it maybe sounds her. like she didn't. And then maybe Helen. Um, Matilda Chaplin in 1871 married Professor of Physics William Aryton. Aryton? A-R-Y-T-O-N. They moved to Tokyo where Matilda founded the school for midwifery. I love that word. It sounds like kind of silly. Like midwifery. It does. It kind of sounds like a made up word, but it's not. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Later, she studied at the London School of Medicine for Women and received her medical degree in Paris in 1879, eventually setting up her own private practice. Nice. And finally, Mary Anderson. Uh, Apparently, everyone got married in 1871. Um, It was a big joint wedding. Yeah. They all just got married and, like, they threw stethoscopes instead of bouquets. and Oh, my God. Uh, Next, whoever catches it is going to be a doctor now. (laughs) Obviously, it was that one person's, Mary Thorne's child. Yes. Yes. She caught two. That's why she's a straight (laughs) up surgeon. She's She's cutting people open. Um, Mary married, but after her husband's death a few months later, she finished her studies at the London School of Medicine for Women. She received her medical degree in Paris and worked at London's New Hospital for Women until 1895. So, their legacy... Uh, let's see, after the Universities Act of 1889, Scottish universities finally began admitting women undergraduates in 1892. All classes were co-ed, except for medical, which seems kind of like a fuck you, but I'm yeah. sure there was some kind of reasoning that wouldn't hold up today. I'm, I'm, I can't think of anything. Yeah, Like, no. maybe if it was, like, just anatomy classes, because I know, like... Especially if it was, like, church-run, you know, like, because I remember when I was in school and it was church-run, you know, when we did health class, when it was, like, the anatomy section, boys and girls are separated. So, like, that's the, like, if they were, like, anatomy, I'd be like, okay, yeah, it must be old school, like, maybe church-run, you know, women can't see naked men with men around kind of a thing. I don't know. Um, But all of medical classes that... I can't think of any like. It seems kind of snarky. Yeah, it's it's funny that you talk about like being educated on health in a uh, parochial school environment because I remember um, I went to a parochial school from like K through seventh grade. Yeah, mine was K through nine. And uh, I went, I remember after school, all of the girls had to attend this special class. Oh, really? And we got to learn about our periods. Oh, no, we just did that in health class. Yeah. But so we got, again, it was when the men and women were separate. So we got to learn about that with our moms from a nun. And all I remember from it is the nun opening up with showing us a pad and telling us how when she was a little girl, she used to use it as like a Barbie mattress because the back of it stuck to the plastic frame Barbie bed. Which is just I so totally precious. I see that, yeah. I'm like, oh shit, why have I never thought yeah, of right? it? <laughs> like, that's genius. And look, the wings help it wrap around <laughs> the bed and keep it secure so she doesn't fall out of bed. Oh, that's funny. Um, let's see. After the... Oh, I already got to that. In 2015, the Edinburgh Seven were commemorated with a plaque at the site of the Surgeon's Hall riot. Aww. And this is where I remember hearing about them. 
Because I, I had seen the articles about it yeah. way back in the day, and I'd looked them up. I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, two things I just want to talk about. First of all, they had every roadblock imaginable thrown up at them, and yet these women were still extremely successful in the medical field, and they did better than the men. A lot of them, yeah. Despite everything. Like, that... It shouldn't have been that hard for them. Right. But that's what makes it such a good story. It makes me think of the quote, and yet she persisted. Nevertheless, she Nevertheless, persisted. Nevertheless, she persisted. I have a purse that says that. You know, I'm very like, proud that's what of it. it makes me think of. Yep. No, and that's, and that's really cool. Okay, so the second thing I wanted to talk about was uh, I was actually going to cover another figure for this episode. But this is a podcast about women, and I couldn't determine this individual's sexual identity. But I, they are a hidden figure, and I did just want to give them a brief little shout-out, Dr. James Berry. It sounds very masculine, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is. Well, they were... I'm going to say I'm gonna say they, just to, yeah. just to be safe, but they were born female, but transitioned into being a man and practiced... Medicine as a man under the name Dr. James Barry, and they were very successful. And they no one knew their um, birth identity. Their birth identity. I'm treading very lightly because I don't always have the vocabulary to talk about these topics. But their birth identity until they died and did an autopsy. I suppose because back then they, they full transitions were not a thing. Yeah. So, Dr. James Berry is a really interesting figure. I found a bunch of different arguments talking about how they transitioned out of necessity because they couldn't practice medicine as a woman. Kind of like how you hear of women in war that will yeah. dress and act like a man, but they still identify as a woman. Right. But because they wanted to fight in the war, they took on the role of a man. But I also found arguments as this an exa- as an example of trans erasure, and mm. I didn't feel comfortable getting into it. But definitely look up Dr. James Berry, extremely interesting figure. And if you guys have any more details about them, please email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com because I'd love to know more. But just honorary shout out. They're really cool. So that's it for me. Well, you did end on happy notes, and I appreciate that. I did, I yeah. Like I needed to chug a glass of wine at the end, like last time. It was, you know, it had some moments that got a little stressful, but I think we, we pulled it out at the very last minute. <laughs> All right. So this might, my person might just be a ignorant American thing. I don't know if we'll ever get European listeners, but if we ever do, I'm actually curious to know if you people know her what do you mean you people you people no, <laughs> um her name is valentina vladimirov treshkova i'm really sorry it's russian there's a lot of russian names in here i'm going to do terrible i was gonna take a really wild guess and g- that they were russian yeah just shot just in the dark shot in the dark <laughs> so the the brief overview before i get into her full story is she was a soviet cosmonaut who was selected for more than 400 applicants and five finalists to launch the Vostok 6 mission on June 16, 1963. She spent almost three days in space, orbited Earth 48 times in her space capsule. This was her only trip into space. It took, just as a standard, it took America 20 more years to send a woman into space. Holy shit. Wait, I'm sorry, repeat the year? 1963. Holy shit. Yeah. So 20 years later, America sent Sally Ride into space. We didn't even send anyone into space until, like, what, seven years later? Because we went to the moon in 1969. We went to the moon, but we did have orbiters before that. Yeah. Oh. Oh, shit. You're right. I gotcha. (laughs) All right. Science is hard. So, Valentina, um... Or as they call her, Valia, so that's what I'll use, okay. Valia. I love that. Um, was born on March 6, 1937, in Meslinikova, a village near the Volga River, about 170 miles northeast of Moscow. So I, you know, kind of more out there, more into Russia. Yep. A little, um, a little more middle of middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Not quite like Serbia, but... Or not Serbia. Serbia is a country. I mean, um, maybe they have a gas station. No, what is that called? 
Siberia. Siberia. <laughs> Geo- this is not a geography podcast. <laughs> That's what I meant. I meant Siberia. Especially- not quite Siberia. It's not Serbia either, though. Yeah. So I guess I wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. Um, so her parents were farmers, but her father was killed during World War II when she was, when she was only two years old. Bummer. Um, when she was eight, she started school, but left left eight years later when she was 16 and started working in a textile factory. However, she did finish her schooling through correspondence. Oh, cool. So yeah. she, like, did remote so she, schooling. Yeah, she, fin- she finished her schooling. Um, Valya joined... Okay, I'm going to be feel really bad if some Russian person listens to this. And then, like, somehow this gets to her because this woman is still alive. Oh, really? So if I'm, like, horribly mispronouncing her name, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Man, everyone else we've covered is dead, so if like, they're mad dead, about it, yeah. we don't know about um, it. But oh, yeah, this one's still alive. I'll get to that. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Um, where was I? Oh, Valya joined the Factories Young Communist League, or the Komsomol, and soon advanced to, into the Communist Party. She also became interested in parachute jumping after joining the Yaroslavia Air Sports Club, and she made her first jump in 1959 at the age of 22. Holy shit! Yeah. I've never been parachuting. I don't think I will ever go parachuting. I think that's terrifying, so that's awesome. I I think, like, okay, I think of skydiving, and I've got a friend who did it, and, you know, I mean, obviously he survived, but uh, it's... I think it's got to be the simultaneously most terrifying, but also most freeing experience. Because honestly, once you jump out of the plane, whatever happens, happens. You right? have no control. I don't like that. Complete abandonment. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. I'm such a control freak. I can't handle that. So after Yuri Gar- Gargarin, who that... I've heard of him. Yeah. Um, he was the first He was the first man in, in space. space. Okay. Well, so yeah, person. After Yuri Gargarin was, became the first man in space in 1961... Sergei Korolev, the chief Soviet rocket engineer, came up with the idea of putting women into space. I love that phrasing. I literally took that sentence out of something because I love the phrasing. Came up with the idea of putting women in space. Okay, okay. So we've sent a man up into space. We got to do something big. Wait, stay with me for a minute. What if we did the same thing, but with a chick? Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Boobs in space. Boobs in space! Zero G boobs! (laughs) Um, um, Valya volunteered for the program, and she did not have any experience as a pilot, but she was accepted into the program because of her 126 parachute jumps. She was also considered a particularly worthy candidate, partly due to her proletarian, which that was actually in quotes, background, and because her father was tank leader Sergeant Vladimir Treshkov, a war hero. So her father had strong political ties. Yeah, but he, her, was, he was dead at this point. Oh, okay. But you know, she, he died when she was two. That's right. That's right. But she also was like politically friendly. Yep. And for the time. Yep. And the fact that she was a parachuter was a huge deal. Yeah. We'll get to that. Hey, we know she can land on her Actually, feet. Actually, that's literally the next sentence. <laughs> um, the reason parachuting was such a big deal was because at the time, cosmonauts had to parachute from their capsules second before they hit the ground on returning to Earth. What the fuck? Other qualifications included that they be under 30 years of age, under five foot seven. so I'm out. I'm um, in. And under 154 pounds. I'm also out. Oh my god! I just could be to, a Russian cosmonaut! I just need to jump out of a plane a hundred and some time. Yeah. I got this! Proletariat! Um, so along with four other women, because remember I said there was five finalists, um, Valya received 18 months of training, which included tests to determine how she would react to long periods of time alone, to extreme gravity, and to zero-g conditions. Um... It included weightless flights, isolation tests, centrifuge tests, uh, rocket theory, spacecraft engineering. She had to do an additional 120 parachute jumps. Um, They did give her pilot training in the MIG-15 UTI jet fighters as well, so she could pilot her own capsule. Okay, maybe it's just because you're using a lot of uh, really cool words, but the one that stuck out to me was UTI. Yeah, I know, right? Like, that, that hit my ear, and I was like, what? Um... The, the group of five spent several months in um, in that training and it included in examinations in November six, 1962, after which the four remaining candidates were commissioned junior lieutenants in the Soviet Air Force. Holy shit. 
So really, there was five, and then there was four, so really only one person got kicked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they're all made junior lieutenants, so they yep. hold some kind of position in the Soviet Air Force. Yep, and this is the, this, what it says is, Valya was honorably inducted into the Soviet Air Force, so I'm assuming they all were honorably inducted. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus, she became the first civilian to fly in space. Because they're not, like, actually in the oh, Air Force, okay. but they're honor- they were honorably inducted into the Air Force. I, I was going to ask, like, so what, what does cool. honorably mean? That sounds kind of shady. So, um, the three leading candidates were Valya. They didn't give the first name of the other woman. I probably could have looked them up, but I didn't, so I'm sorry. This is Valya's story, and if you have more information about these other women, please send it to us. Um, so it was Valya Solovoyeva. I'm assuming these women are still alive, too, so I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. And Pono Mariova. I think all of them end in Yova. No, one's Kova. Never mind. Yovakova. Were they so those three were the leading candidates and a joint mission profile was developed that would see two women launched into space um, on consecutive days in March or April 1963. However, um, the initial planning that was supposed to be Valya would launch in Vostok 5, um, while Ponomaryova would follow her into orbit in Vostok 6, did not happen. The flight plan was altered in March of 1963, and Vostok 5 would now carry a male cosmonaut, Val- Valery Baikovsky, with um, Valya flying aboard the Vostok 6. Why'd they replace her with a dude? It didn't say. What the fuck? I, I really want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that there was, like, a decent reason, but... And there might have been. History but, shows me there probably um, wasn't. And so, yeah, out, out of the four women, um, the State Space Commission did not nominate Valya to pilot Vostok 6. Um, and then, just to note, um, she was exactly 10 years younger than the youngest Mercury 7 astronaut, Gordon Cooper. Holy shit. So she's, young. like, also one of the youngest people yeah. in one space. Of, at the time, at least. Yeah. Um, so she watched the successful launch of the Vostok 5 with the male cosmonaut on June 14th okay. and began the final preparations for her own flight. Do you think she was just doing this the whole time? Mm-hmm. The jerk off motion? Probably. Just, yup, yup, dude in space, been there, done that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, she was only 26 at the time. Oh my god. Can you imagine going up into space right now? Well, it would have been a year ago for me, too, for you. Yeah, no, I would throw up. No, I up. can't. Yeah. No, I can't even imagine it now. I'm 28 um, years old. I'd throw up the whole way. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten past the five months of intensive training. No, I, I wouldn't have I mean, gotten I, past. I, I couldn't even have been a cosmonaut. I don't fit. The only requirement I fit is under 30 years of age. I would just, they go with rocket theory and it'd be like, yes, yes. We don't know if rockets exist, but theoretically they could. <laughs> and then they'd kick me out. Yeah, they'd be like, leave. Just leave. Stop. Um, so, she was 26, and on the morning of June 16th, 1963, Valya and her ba- backup, Sol- Solyova, were dressed in spacesuits and taken to the launch pad by bus. Following the tradition set by Gar- Gar- Gargarin, um, Valya also urinated on the bus tire. So did you oh know my that? God, before what? before Yuri, Yuri Gargarin went into space, so the first guy in space, he got out of the bus and peed on the bus tire before he went into his space shuttle. Oh my God, I love that. And so she did it too. And it's harder because we don't. Have I know we have to like point. squat. There's there's a whole physics process involved with peeing on things for women. It's, so she became the first woman to do so. I love it. <laughs> first woman ever to urinate on a bus tire. Without getting it on her pants. (laughs) Yeah, right? Not on the spacesuit. So she completed her communication and life support checks and was sealed inside the Vostok. Emily, if you want to take a look, there is a picture of her little capsule on the drive. Okay. um, Which will be on the blog later, which is whiningabouthistory.com. Super easy. Um, But it's pretty tiny. It's basically like her and a little, like, booster. It's the one that looks like, like a little infograph. Oh, I clicked on I clicked on something else, but I see it. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It's, it's like this so tiny, tiny little capsule. Um, I don't feel comfortable. No, I don't either. Horrifying. Don't worry. Um, so she was sealed inside. There was a two-hour countdown, and then Vostok six launched successfully. Wait, do you think that they they counted down the whole way? <laughs> one fifty nine. 
159.58. I really hope not. Um, oh my god. So, Vostok 6 launched successfully and Valya became the first woman in space. Her call sign on this flight was Chaika, which in English means seagull. Aww. Um, which was later commemorated as the name of an asteroid, 1671 Chaika. So there's an asteroid Aww. out there named after I bet that's the one that takes us all out. <laughs> um, yeah, right. The two spacecraft took different orbits around Earth and came within three miles of each other. Uh, at that time, the cosmonauts exchanged communications with one another. Do you think he, like, flipped her off and then she just kind of gave yeah, right. him the, the, the two v. fingers? Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm sure they were all very professional. <laughs> Although Valya experienced nausea and physical discomfort for much of her flight... She orbited the Earth 48 times and spent almost three days in space. What? Yeah. Holy shit. With a single flight, she logged more flight time combined than all of the American astronauts who had flown before her. Holy shit. No wonder we were so scared of the Soviets. They were getting it done. Right? Uh, Valya also maintained a flight log and took photographs of the horizon, which were later used to identify aerosol layers within the atmosphere. Aw, aerosol. Um, Right? Um, All that hairspray. (laughs) Right? Um, so a lot of her flight log and stuff were, were broadcast back to Russia and Europe. Um, however, they didn't know that during this time she was actually in a lot of danger. What? at one point, an error in the spacecraft's automatic navigation software caused her ship to move away from Earth's orbit. Um, she noticed this and contacted you know, the Soviet scientists, and they quickly developed a new landing algorithm so that she could land safely. However, upon her landing, she did receive a bruise on her face. Not that bad, considering it could have been a lot worse. Considering you fell out of the Earth's orbit while you're hurtling around it in space right? in a tin can for three days, I think she got off pretty easy. Yeah. Um, I don't oh know where God. she was originally intended to land, because, you know, they had to make a new plan. But she did. She landed in Altay. It's a region near the Kazakhstan-Mongolia-China border. Oh, wow. So she was off a ways. Just, just a yeah, smidge. Just a smidge. Um, it's like a quarter inch on a map. The villagers there um, helped Valya out of her spacesuit and asked her to join them for dinner. Uh, she accepted and then was later reprimanded for violating the rules and not go- undergoing medical testing first. Which makes sense. I mean, you get back from space, they want to make sure you're okay. But she's like however many miles away and she just wants to get dinner? They, get, they invited her to dinner. The villagers yeah. that found her. Well, not found her. But I mean, they, her and the Soviet uh, scientists plotted the course, so I'm sure they knew where-ish where she was going to land, and they were probably coming to retrieve her. And they are probably like, the fuck, lady? You know what? Let her eat. I just got out of space. It's been three days. Some shit went down. I got a bruise on my face. Someone's offering me Dinner? food. Fuck you. I'm going to eat. Don't right? deny me my carbs. Um, Valya was honored with the title of Hero of the Soviet Union. Good for her. She also received the Order of Lenin and the Gold Star Medal. She became a spokesperson for the Soviet Union, and um, she all, while while in that role, she received the United Nations Gold Medal of Peace. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot more to worry. Oh, my God. We're um, really ending on a positive yeah. note. I'm happy. So after her mission, um, she was asked how the Soviet Union should thank her for her service for the country. So she was asked. Valya responded that the government searched for and published the location where her father was killed in action. Um, which was somewhere in Finland, I believe. Um, Oh my god! They did do it for her. And a monument now stands at this site, Lemeti, um, which is now on the Russian side of the border, but it must have used to have been in Finland, because it says Valya has visited Finland several times since. (laughs) So I assume it used to be in Finland, apparently now it's Russia. That is so sweet. Yeah. I oh think that's my really god. Nice. Can you imagine? So she's basically being asked by the government of her entire country. Uh, what do you want? Yeah. And she's like, I want to know where my father was killed in World War II. Like, I wonder how much that must have weighed on her. Yeah. I mean, you know, that kind of reminds me of we, Jared, my boyfriend, and I had watched The Wall. So Pink Floyd's movie related to their album. Yeah. And the whole thing is that this boy, his father died in World War II when he was just a baby. And he's got these, like, he he suffers greatly from that loss because not only does he feel that 
emptiness in his life, but he didn't know his father. So it, it all ties in, man. Everything ties together. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. Um, so there were plans for further flights by women. However, it took Russia another 19 years until the second woman, Svetlana Sevskaya, flew into space. Note that it took Russia another 19 years. So that means they sent two women into space before America sent one. Oh my god. Just saying. Um, so none of the other four women in Valya's early group flew, and Valya never flew again, as I mentioned. Um, she did later become a test pilot and an instructor and earn, er, did earn a doctorate in technical sciences. Damn. Yeah. So she got shit done. That's, well, that's She's pretty, probably still getting shit done. Yeah. I mean, that's really good for a, a 16 year old who dropped out of school and finished with correspondence right? and, you know. Um, wow. So in 1963, Valya donated a silver cup at the Women's 1963 European Rowing Championship. That was pretty cool. Cool. Empowered women, empower um, women. So that was September. In November 1963, she married a fellow cosmonaut, um, Adrian Nikolaeva, and they had one child together, a daughter named Elena, and she was the subject of a lot of medical interest because she was the first child born to parents who had both been in space. Oh, shit. I wonder if, she, like, she had superpowers? Um, she did go on to become a medical doctor. So, That's kids- it. That is... <laughs> Side note, she did become a medical doctor. Kids born from space parents become doctors. Yeah. That is what I'm concluding. I Um, think that's logical. Valya and Nikolaev divorced in 1980. So, you know, they were married for a while. Got divorced. In 1969 um, came the dissolution of the first group of female cosmonauts. Was the dissolution? They disbanded. Oh. the, The first group of female cosmonauts. Oh, okay. So they all, like, like a band, they broke up? Yeah. Were they decommissioned from the military? I don't know. Am I just asking questions? You're asking questions (laughs) that I don't have the answers to. I'm so sorry. I'm making this more complicated. Um, But so when that happened, she became a prominent member of the Communist Party of Soviet Russia and has held various political offices. And she has remained politically active following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Okay. Because obviously now it's just Russia. Russia. Um... And she is still regarded as a hero in the post-Soviet Russia. And it says, and much of the world, which made me go, oh. I mean, maybe I'm not as, I'm not very educated as far as uh, space exploration yeah, goes. I was I was decently into it, and I've heard of Sally Ride, and I've heard of Yuri Gagarin. I don't remember ever hearing of her. I've never heard of her. Yeah, I know, I know Sally and, Ride. But yeah, like, and that's why I'm saying maybe it's... Ignorant Americans. I mean, we're really bitter. I'm very curious. We're really bitter that Russia had the first gal in space. Um, But we went to the moon. We went to the moon. Seriously, so Russia was so far ahead of us as far as space travel went, but then America got to the moon first and we're like, we won. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, (laughs) you sure? Right. She she is still um, the only woman to ever have gone on a solo space mission. Wow. So there have been other women in space. She's the only one to go have gone on a solo space mission. Holy shit. Probably because you couldn't fit anyone else in that tiny capsule. Yeah. I, where did she get, like, food and water? Or did I she don't just know. go without I for have three no, days? I have so many questions. I Yeah, I do too. Um, so she had studied at the Sikovsky Air Force Academy and then graduated with distinction. When she, when she became an engineer, and then in 1977, she earned her doctorate in engineering. Um, she did marry again to Yuli, Yuli, Y-U-L-I-Y. Yuli. I, that's terrible. Shapashnikov. Shapashnikov? A surgeon. Sh- oh, man. <laughs> Dr. Shapashnikov. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, so the political positions she's held over the years, um, 1966 to 74, she was a member of the Supreme Soviet of the Soviet Union. 74 to 89, she was a member of the Presidium of the Supreme Soviet. 69 to 91, I was born that year. Um, she was in the Central Committee of the Communist Party. 97, uh, she retired from the Russian Air Force and the Cosmonaut Corps by presidential order. So the president's like, honey, 
Just, you're, you're, you're too old. You're done. I you're assume. Done. Um, she has also been a, um, a representative for the Soviet Union abroad. She was a member of the World Peace Council, a member of the Yaroslav Soviet. Um, she has been a Soviet representative at the UN Conference for the International Women's Year which in 1975. Wow. Yep. She led the Soviet delegation to the World Conference on Women. Um, she attained the rank of Deputy of the Supreme Soviet. I'm trying to make sure I'm not repeating myself. <laughs> Vice President of the International Women's Democratic Federation and President of the Soviet Algerian Friendship Society. Wow. Soviet she's, Algerian she's, Friendship Society. Society. That's pretty she's sweet. She's held a lot of titles. Do you do you think one of the reasons that we're not familiar with her is because she was involved with the Communist Party in Maybe? Soviet Russia? I don't know, because she's she's still active now when it's not communist. Well, we're still pretty salty about that shit, though. We're salty about a lot of things. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like I said, she received... The Hero of the Soviet Union, which is the USSR's highest award that you can get. Wow. Um, she received the Order of Lenin, Order of the October Revolution. Um, and wasn't wasn't that the revolution that overturned the Romanovs? I believe. I okay. believe so. Um, she received nu- numerous other medals, both foreign and domestic, um, including the Karl Marx Order, a United Nations Gold Medal of Peace, and the Simba International Women's Movement Award. Um, she was also bestowed a title of the Hero of the Socialist Label of Czechoslovakia, Hero of Labor of Vietnam, and Hero of Mongolia. Damn! In 1990, tying into your story, she received an honorary doctorate from the University of Edinburgh. Oh, yay! <sighs> um, ooh, sorry. Uh, Damn, that diamond's just so yeah, fierce, sorry. Kelly. Valya, so her last name is, you know, Tereshkova. Um, she does have a crater named after her on the far side of the moon named Tereshkova. Aww. That's kind of cool. That's cool. Too bad we can, like, never see it. Yeah. I'm still not done yet. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, I know. She's got a bitchin' resume. I know! I'm like, she's so impressive. God, my resume's pathetic. So, um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, while she lost her political office, obviously, um, she's still held in very high prestige, um... And her importance has, ne- you know, has only ever been passed by Yuri Gargarin and Alexei Lenov, which I actually haven't heard of that second person either, so maybe I need to go Google that person. I think that's a guy. I this, That's why I was saying person. I assume okay. it's a male. Yep. But if it's not, I didn't want to be offensive. You're, you're right. We should not assume. We're, um, we're going to be more progressive than that. She has been elected to the State Duma, which is the lower house of Russian legislation. Russian legislation, and that happened in 2011, so she's still a member today. Holy shit. So she still serves in what I assume is similar to their, like, Congress or House. Some kind of governmental body. I'm not going to pretend to understand how Russian government works. Um, Valya's life and spaceflight were first written about in um, 1975 in a book called It Is I, Siegel. Oh, I love that. I know. I think that's super cute. And then again... um, in greater detail, she was written about again in 2007 called in a book called Into the Silent Sea by Colin Burgess and Francis French. And it kind of really makes me want to read it because there's a lot of interviews with um, Valya and her colleagues. From That's the time. super cool. So it's almost uh, as firsthand as it can get by yeah. while being written by other people. Um, she was invited to the Prime Minister Vlad- Vladimir Putin's residence. Um, to celebrate her 70th birthday. Um, and she told him while she was there, or maybe not him, but she said while she was there that uh, she would like to fly to Mars even if it means it's only a one-way trip. Oh my god! Have you... Okay, I'm going to deviate. Have you ever seen the movie Space Cowboys? No. It's basically um, a bunch of uh, older actors and they're, they're playing pilots who are trying to go into space using planes before the space program really took off. Okay. And uh, there's some kind of satellite in space that's really old from their time that's malfunctioning. And they're the only ones with the technical knowledge to fix it. So they get trained as astronauts and go up. And, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, one of the guys ends up basically staying behind on the moon. 
because he's like, this Maybe is, I have this seen is that. all that, I wanted to do. That or it happens in another movie. Yeah, because basically he's like, this is all I ever wanted to do, and there's no other way f- for you guys to get home, so he just... It's just a one-way trip, and I, I cried, and I was really mad at my boyfriend for letting me watch it, not telling oh. me I'd cry. <laughs> um, so some other just neat facts about her. Um, she has been a torchbearer of the Olympics twice. Fucking better be. Um, both in 2008. Um, she carried it during the St. Petersburg leg of the 29th Summer Olympics, and then in 2014... Um, she carried again ahead of the 22nd Winter Games in Sochi. Um, wow. I have some quotes from her that I thought were really awesome. Do it, do it, do it. So I have three. The first one is, if women can be railroad workers in Russia, why can't they fly in space? Love it. The second one is, once you've been in space, you appreciate how small and fragile the Earth is. Aww. Which makes sense. And then the last one. Is they forbade me from flying despite all my protests and arguments. After being once in space, I was keen to go back there, but it didn't happen. So, so she very much wanted to go back into space and did not get to. That's got to be so frustrating. But I mean, I believe she's currently eighty-three. She's still alive and kicking. Yeah, she's still, you know, damn, part of you know government in Russia. Like, she's a badass. Jesus, I I love that we're we're covering a woman who is still alive, who we can appreciate while she's still on this earth. Oh, yeah. You know, everyone else, it's kind of like great that they're getting acknowledgement, but kind of too little, too late. You know, we can do right. plaques and reburials and all that stuff, right. but this woman, we can really be like, thank hey. you so much. Oh yeah, you're fucking amazing, and you kicked ass, and what you did is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Also, for you uh, feminist stamp collectors out there, she was also featured on a stamp. At one point, it's on the drive, and I'll put it on the blog as well. It's pretty neat, because it's like a picture of her in her spacesuit, and then like her little tiny capsule. She's got great hair. I, I know I know women are more than their appearances, but she's got she great hair. She was very hair. pretty. I mean, she's still very pretty. There's a picture of her from like 2003 on there. She's like in a purple suit. Um, and I'll, I'll put it up on the, on the blog, which is uh, whiningabouthistory.com. And, you know, so go check out the blog, check out our Facebook page, Whining About Herstory. Check out our uh, Instagram, W-A-H pod. Uh, send us emails if you want, whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Tell us what women you think we should cover. Or, hey, if you have a story about a really badass gal in your own life, please share that with us. Because there are so many incredible women that are never going to get a postage stamp, but that doesn't make their contributions any less valid no and we we'd love to hear personal stories and you know if we get enough of them maybe we'll just do an episode on like women of today you know that viewers have sent in and i mean we'd love to hear from you regardless the women in my life yeah there you go that so um i know this episode's ending on kind of an upswing anyway but kelly do you have anything you're thankful for today hmm i am thankful for I don't know. The warmth of this house and being out of the bitter, bitter cold because it's supposed to get even colder this week. We're uh, we're living in Minnesota and shit is crazy. The snow banks are taller than me. Um, my dogs have resorted to going potty in the driveway because the backyard is just, the <laughs> snow is so deep. Even the pit bull can't get over it. It's awful. So yes, I'm thankful for wine that warms me from the inside and friendship <laughs> that warms me from the outside. I am thankful that you made two bags of popcorn before we started recording. And uh, we got to watch some Veronica Mars. Heck yeah. Shout out to a great heroine. Yeah, early 2000s television at its best people. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're so happy you could join us. And uh, please have an empowered day and empower the women in your life. Thank you so much. Bye. That was good. It's good.